You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 27, we'll read in its entirety. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it to Rebekah, said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smoother part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, He said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. 
He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. And yes, he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were still were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you, planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of, one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be? to me. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, and we ask that you'd be pleased to teach us from this story, O Father, that you would open this story up to our hearts and lead us, O Father, into that which uh, you have desired that we would learn from it, that you would take us to the very heart of this story, and that, Father, you would also instruct us in the lessons that are attendant to the very heart of this story. And Father, we would not only be instructed, we not only learn, but Father, we ask that, Lord, when we leave here this morning, we would find ourselves changed, truly changed by it. So Father, we submit ourselves to you this way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. One of the things I love so much about the Bible is its realism. I mean, it's real. Uh, it's it's real. I mean, just a quick reading of this story, you're almost left speechless, aren't you? Uh, it's real. I mean, there's, there are tendencies in some places in the church today to kind of paint a rosy picture about everything that, you know, everything's happy and the music's always happy and people are always happy and to be a believer, you've got to be happy. Um, everyone else is happy. Uh, you should be happy. So it's the hour. It's happy hour. Um, let's be happy. Um, everybody, get your happy face on because it's happy hour. 
the problem with that is I'm looking. Some of you can hardly bring a happy face on, can you? You can't. And why is that? Is it because you don't believe? I don't think so. It's because at the moment, you're just not really very happy. And that's really the way life is, isn't it, sometimes? I mean, are we happy 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year? Has anybody achieved that? I mean, even when we're little kids once in a while, what do we find ourselves doing? Crying and running into the room? I mean, come on. It's just not realistic, is it? And people, you know, if, if, if we enter into an assembly where everybody's happy all the time, and you enter into an assembly like that, and you see everybody happy all the time, but what, what does that say to the person whose husband just left them? What's that say to, the, to, to um, a young woman in an abusive marriage? What does that say to a person who's just gotten terminal news? I mean, down the list we could go. What does that say to them? Well, we turn our eyes to the Bible, and we see the Bible has nothing to do with that. I mean, look at this story that we have here. Uh, this is one really dysfunctional family, is it not? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I had to keep reminding myself as I was studying this this week that we, this is Isaac's family. And I had to keep reminding myself that sometimes the Lord identifies himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I, I told Tammy on the way here this morning, I said, you know, I, I don't think I'm out on a limb at all if I were to speculate that there were some pagan neighbors whose families were much more functional than this. I don't think I'm out on the limb on that at all. This is really dysfunctional. And when we read this, we think to ourselves, you know, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only one with a messed up family. No, now we got one right here. <laughs> we got one right here, not to make light of it. And the more we study this text, the more we study this, the more we look at this, the more we're reminded, we're like, well, we can start to see, well, I, can, I, I won't mention any names, but, I, you know, hey, I, I, can, I can see one of my uncles here. I can see an aunt here. I can see, I can see a, maybe a sibling here. I can see a little this and a little that. Well, okay, well, you're starting to come into the text if you can see that. But you're not all the way there yet. You won't be all the way there until you start to see yourself. Um, because as you begin to study this more and more, your uncle and his idiosyncrasies or your aunt and hers or whoever you might put on, fill the blank in with, their idiosyncrasies begin to subside while we begin to see our own. Um, this is really a mirror. We're told that when Isaac was old, in verse 1, that he became blind and we're told about an occasion where he called Esau, who is his oldest son. And he said to him in verse 2, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Verse 3, now then take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And pre prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, what is this initial paragraph all about? It's foreign to us because our culture is so different than this culture. But in, in the culture of this day, it was, it was 
commonplace for the patriarch of the family to bless his successor, his heir, which was almost always, practically without exception, the oldest son. He was to be the heir. And um, that is what we have taking place here. And actually, as we're going to see in this text, the Lord actually himself is using this custom. He is using this culture to, uh, uh, to establish his covenant with people. We can think of Abraham. Uh, Abraham had this in mind as he was saying to the Lord, oh, that Ishmael might live. And God corrects him and says, no, 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 not Ishmael, but Isaac. My covenant promises. My covenant is with Isaac. Now, what's in view there? What's in view there is the day when Abraham would bless Isaac. And the watching world would see that it indeed is Isaac who is the covenant heir. And I stress this, the watching world would recognize this. In other words, this is to be a public thing. And if we think about it, uh, Isaac has a large household. Let's go back to Abraham because we spent so much time on it. Does Abraham have a small household? No, he has a huge household. And we could see how important this would be to the sustenance of that household. Abraham has to prepare his household for a new leader. If he doesn't do that properly, when he passes on, there's going to be a power struggle in the household that will tear the household apart. This is a really important thing. And we have the same thing going on here. Now, you'll notice that Isaac is doing this privately. Now, why is he doing this privately? Well, let's go back to chapter 25. We were there a few weeks ago, and in verse 19 and following, we find the, uh, the record of the birth of uh, Esau and Jacob. We're told that Isaac is 40 whenever he marries Rebekah in verse 20, and we're told that initially Rebekah could not um, have children. In verse 21, Isaac prays to the Lord for his wife, and the Lord grants his prayer. Now, this, this single verse encompasses a probably about 19 years because Isaac is 60 when these twins are born. So this was a long time. Isaac prays for a long time. The Lord answers his prayer. Now, as Rebecca conceives, at one stage in the pregnancy, verse 22 tells us that the children struggled together within her. She's confused by this, so she inquires of the Lord. And in verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. But look at that last line. The older shall serve the younger. Now, that is really countercultural. To get a word like that, I think, I think that if you only remembered one thing about this prophecy, you would remember, you'd, you, you have a tendency to remember that which is most shocking, don't you? And you're going to remember this last line. Wait, 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 wait a minute. The older shall serve the younger. It's always the other way. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this is made really clear. Now, who is the older? Esau is the oldest. Jacob is the youngest. Now, uh, Isaac, having heard this, uh, would certainly have been shocked by this news. 
But verse 28 gives us a, a, a real cue here in how to understand much of chapter 27. We get a little bit of information about the family dynamics in verse 28. This is chapter 25, by the way. Verse 28, we're told that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. You know, that sentence. He loved Esau. It doesn't just say he loved Esau. It says he loved Esau because he ate of his game. And Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, what do we have going on here? We have parental favoritism going on here. You know, Jacob is mama's boy and Esau is daddy's boy. And uh, we have this favoritism going on here. So we see that there's, a, that there's undoubtedly a lot of family dysfunction here just surrounding this and all the things that would be attendant to this favoritism here. So then when we come to chapter 27, we see Isaac here. Um, some commentators will say, well, Isaac is old and he has forgotten the promise that God has made. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that for a second. And some will say, well, why don't you believe that? Because he's doing it behind closed doors. If he simply forgot, go ahead and throw the festival like you normally do. And then his wife could remind him, hey, wait a second, you remember the, you remember the, 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 the promise? But instead, he's sneaking around. Now, why is he sneaking around? It's because he's aware of it. It has to be because he's aware of it. He's sneaking around. This is disastrous. This, is, this can be nothing but disastrous to the family. Because if Esau is to be blessed, when he comes out of the tent, what is he going to do? He's going to around saying, hey, I received the Father's blessing. And the rest of the family is going to go, well, where were we? Because there's supposed to be a big, there's supposed to be a big party. This is supposed to be a big public ceremony. And you're going to think, well, where are we? Who are you, the special one? It's going to cause division. Some might not even believe Esau. This is going to be, this is a mess. Now, the scene changes in verse 5 to Rebekah. Rebekah is listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. And um, he hears, she hears rather what he says. And she calls Jacob. And she says to Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother. Bring me game, prepare for me delicious food that I might bless you before I die. Verse 8, now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Now, what's going on there? Is, is Rebecca just simply wanting to see her favorite blessed? It's possible. I don't want to sell Rebecca short. Like I think Rebecca sees that the word of God is about to be thwarted, and she thinks she must do something. Of course, there's an element. There's probably an element of favoritism in there as well. Uh, but she, she, it's almost like she thinks, oh, no, God's word's not going to, God's word's in jeopardy. I better do something. I better help God. And she resorts to this conniving, resorts to this, uh, to, to this deception and this fraud. And she pitches her plan to Jacob. Now, how does Jacob resort to this? How does Jacob respond to this? Does he say, oh, oh mom, have you lost your mind? We can't do anything like this. I can't, I can't go in there and deceive my father like this. I can't go in and tell him that I'm Esau. I, I, mom, what's wrong? We can't do this. Perish the thought. Is that how he reacts? not, is it? Look at his reaction in verse 11. He says to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my, 
brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, not a blessing. What's Jacob worried about? Is he worried about the morality of this? Not at all. Not an ounce. He's worried about getting caught. He's worried about whether it'll work or not. But he's very much into it. His mom, Rebecca, responds, says, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Rebecca's determined this has to be done. Jacob, he's, he's willing. Off he goes, verse 14. He gets, fetches the, the young goats, brings them to his mom, and she prepares the food. Verse 15, she takes some of Esau's clothes and she puts them on Jacob. And look at verse 16. The skins of the young goats she put on Jacob's hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. I mean, at this point in time, Jacob has to be the most ridiculous-looking waiter in, in, in Mesopotamia or in, the palace, in Palestine. I mean, think about it for a minute. He's got his brother's clothes on. Do they fit? His brother's stronger than him, probably brawnier. That's unlikely. So he's got his brother's clothes on. He's got goat skins over his hands. He's got goat skins around his neck. He's got this food, and he's headed into the tent. I mean, if someone would have seen him uh, approaching the tent like that, what do you suppose they say? say, Jacob, you're being silly. What are you doing? I think the last thing he would want to do is anyone to see him doing this. But he does it. And in verse 18, he goes into his father and he says, My father, and Isaac said, Here I, here I am. He realizes something's wrong. He says, Who are you, my son? Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. He lies right to his face. Right to his face. He goes, I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Notice what Jacob says next. He says, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Yeah, there's quite a lesson right there. As soon as we open the door to sin like that, look what comes in. You open that door to sin, and look what comes in. Hey, I mean, do you see the progressive nature of sin in that and how quickly, once it's inside, how quickly it progresses and how fast and swiftly it progresses? It's one thing to stand in front of his dad and lie to him blatantly. It's another thing to invoke the name of God in the deception. It's much more heinous. Then Isaac said, Jacob, please come near that I may, I may feel you to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Verse 24, he said, Are you really my son Esau? And then Jacob lies again. He said, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and ate and brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Look at that. There's a kiss involved in this. What's that remind you of? As soon as you read that, what do you think about? You think about Judas kissing Jesus, don't you? Because a kiss is a gesture of affection and loyalty. And Judas kisses Jesus. He exchanges this 
this gesture of that should be a gesture of affection and loyalty, and he does it while there's betrayal in his heart. And that's what Jacob is doing here. He kisses his father while there's betrayal in his heart, and his father smells the smell of his garments, and he blessed him. He smells his son Esau. And he says, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of earth and plenty of grain and wine and let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac blesses Jacob. In verse 30, Isaac, he finishes and he hightails it out of there. And when he is, we're told that when he had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, then comes Esau. Esau enters the picture. And he is back from his hunting. He has the food prepared. And he comes into his father and he says to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And notice how Isaac responds. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? Now, Esau had to realize something is really wrong already because just a few hours ago he had had this conversation. And he returns, and now uh, his son's asking him who he is. But notice how he responds. Notice how, notice how Esau responds. He answered, I am your son. And he doesn't just say, I am your son. He says, I am your firstborn. He's reminding his dad of his, of his firstborn status, which in this culture almost always received the blessing. He's reminding him of it. In verse 33, we really come to the very heart of the story. It's right here in verse 33. There we're told that Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. What is up with that? Why is he, why is he trembling so very violently? It's because at this point in time, Isaac sees the hand of God in this. Isaac is doing everything he can, not that thy will be done, but that his will be done. And suddenly he realizes that even in the midst of all of his, even in the midst of this, this, who knows about this? This was private. This was just between me and Esau. Who found out about it? Who knows about it? Who did I bless? It comes to him. It hits him. And he sees, it's one of those minutes where he sees the living God. And somewhat of a conversion takes place. Not a conversion to the faith, but a heart change over the matter. Notice what he says at the end. He says, I have blessed him. And he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. In other words, he acquiesces. This is not what he wanted. He did everything he could to stop it. But this is what happened. And this teaches us the whole point of this passage. What is the whole point of this passage? I like to give you one-word summaries when I'm able about these chapters as we go along. If I was to give you a one-word summary of chapter 27, I would say overruling. That would be my one-word answer, overruling. If you would allow me two words, I'd say overruling providence. If you'd give me three words, then I'll give you the title of this message. 
It's God's overruling providence. God's overruling providence. God said that the older will serve the younger. And that's the way it's going to be. And that's such a blessing to us. Now, how's this going with Esau? Esau hears it and he cries. He cries with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, we're told. And he says, bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, your, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And you remember the story about the birthright. You remember Esau comes in from the field. He's exhausted and he's tired and he's hungry. And Jacob is cooking this stew. And he asks Jacob for some stew. And Jacob says, well, sell me your birthright and I'll give you some stew. And he says, well, what good is my birthright to me? What good is my birthright to me? It's just a horrible situation. What is Jacob doing? He's tempting his brother to ruin is what he's doing. And what what is Esau doing? He is the oldest. But he holds the blessing of God in contempt, in such contempt that he trades it for a bowl of stew. And have you noticed how often food is coming up in this? Food keeps coming up, doesn't it? Sells a birthright for a bowl of stew. Isaac loves Esau because he ate of his game. Esau, go out into the field and hunt for me. Bring me some game that I might uh, eat and bless you. Yeah, Rebecca, when she prepares the meal, you know, I, I have to wonder myself, I think it's cooking for one, right? And she asks Jacob to go get two goats. I, I, can, can we sit down and eat one goat? She cooks two. You, you see, the longer you stare at this, the more other people start to subside and you start to see yourself. We might ask ourselves, Isaac, Isaac, how did you end up in this? How did you end up in this kind of shape? You're supposed to be leading your family. You heard that the younger was to, or that the, 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 young, the older was to serve the younger. You should have been preparing these boys for this. You should have told them this is the, this is the word of the Lord from early on and prepared the family for this whole thing. You should have been the spiritual leader. And if we think, if we, if we pull the calendar back and we go back to Genesis 22, there as a teenager, we see Isaac. Uh, what is he doing? He's up on Mount Moriah with his father Abraham, and Abraham is called to sacrifice him at the altar. And what is he doing? He is so surrendered and so submitted to his father and to his God that he allows himself to be tied up to a stake. But look at him now. And this is a real hard lesson for us. I mean, this, is a, this, this should tell us right now, just because you've made a strong beginning doesn't mean you're going to finish well in the end. Just because you've made a strong beginning doesn't mean you're even going to finish in the end. Sometimes we come to passages of Scripture that remind us of that. And why are we getting these reminders? It's because we're to watch. We're to watch our hearts every hour of every day. It calls us to watchfulness. It calls us to watchfulness. Watch your soul. What is competing for God in your heart? Watch it every day, every hour of every day. Isaac, what has happened to you? It seems that his God is his stomach. At least that's some of it. 
His God is his belly. Esau. Look at Esau. Where's Esau? You know, we're told in Hebrews not to be unholy like Esau because Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew and then he tried to get it back even with tears, yet he found no chance for repentance. Here we see Esau crying and everything, and it might be easy for us to it might be easy for us to have sympathy for Esau and say, Boy, look at Esau. I mean he's crying. Shouldn't he get, look at the way he's crying? I mean, he's repenting here. Well, be be careful with that. I know when I first started doing ministry, I, I seen these kinds of tears. And early on I thought they were tears of repentance. You know, it's not long before someone will come to you and they're in a real jam. And they'll come to you and they'll explain everything. And, oh, yeah, they're in a real jam, all right. And then you pray with them. You share the gospel with them. You meet with them. And then the Lord delivers them out of their jam. And then they're nowhere to be found. You know, Sunday rolls around and their seat's empty. The next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. Where'd they go? Looked like true repentance. Turns out it was what the Apostle Paul calls worldly grief. In 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between two types of tears. There's one type that he calls worldly grief. And what is worldly grief? Worldly grief is when you're sorry for the jam you're in. Uh, you may be sorry for the, the, the things that you've done that has landed you into that position. You may regret that you made these decisions. Uh, you may regret that you've hurt other people. You may re- you go down the list. You could regret all that. But it is, it is distinct from godly grief because it doesn't go far enough. Godly grief. David gives us an illustration of godly grief. Once he is convicted of his sin for uh, taking Bathsheba from Uriah the Hittite, Nathan the prophet comes to him and convicts him of his sin. And, and we get Psalm 51 out of that. And what does David say? He says to the Lord his God, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. Where David sees that the most significant thing that is taking place, the real problem, not to negate all of the others who have been harmed in this, but the real fundamental problem is I have sinned against a holy and just God, and I need His mercy. That's what Paul calls godly grief. Godly grief leads to salvation. Worldly grief leads to death. Esau gives us a textbook example of worldly grief. Where is Esau left in this? What has his dad done to him? I mean, he's culpable, but man, he wants to kill Jacob now. Like I said at the beginning, this, is only, this could only serve to cause division. This is a division of the worst kind. He has murder in his eyes to such a degree that his mom says, listen, Jacob, you need to hightail it out of here. Go stay with my brother Laban. So Jacob has to, okay, he's the covenant heir, but he has to flee. He has to scram. Now, in hindsight, where is this family? Where where has this left their family? We've got four characters here. Fifth, five if you want to count God. And we should count God. He's the central character. But four earthly characters. We have Isaac. We've said much about Isaac. Where's Isaac at? You know, we've heard so much about Isaac from chapter 12 all the way through 
chapter 25, we're hearing about Isaac. Isaac is the promised son, the promised son. The promised son's coming, the promised son's coming, the promised son's coming. And then once he's here, as I pointed out in an early study, we don't have a whole lot about him. Really, I mean, in chapter 28, we're going to start focusing on Jacob. And as has been rightly said, the, the, um, the Reformation Study Bible that I'm using right now even makes a comment about it that Isaac um, really at this point, is, his life is really without significance. It's pretty much without significance. And he's really blown this thing. Um, he's really blown it. What about Rebecca? Where's Rebecca at? Well, it seems, as we read the rest of Genesis, and if you've read the rest of Genesis, I welcome any comments, but it seems to me that this, at least in terms of what we have record for, this is the last time she sees Jacob in this life. It's the last time. She sends him to her brother, the son that she loves so dearly she never sees again in this lifetime. And what about Esau? Esau is as lost today as he was then, and he has no hope of recovery tomorrow. See how serious this is? And what about Jacob? Well, Jacob, he is the covenant heir, but he has to flee. And as we continue to study, we're going to see all the misery that this invites by allowing this sin uh, into uh, their life. Look where it takes them. And, and we might ask ourselves, okay, let's please, Rick, don't close now. <laughs> don't. Don't, don't close now. This would be a bad time to close. And we say, well, for next week, we'll look at the hope. You know? <laughs> this is the grief. You know? I'm not going to close now. Just one last comment. Uh, where is the hope? We could ask. In my notes I have here, where is the hope? The hope is in God's overruling providence. That's real abstract to many of us. What's that mean? God's overruling providence means that God has a plan to save his people. And that means his plan is going to come to fruition. And we're going to see as we study, and we've already seen, that every step of the way, there's always opposition against God. Jesus puts it this way that makes it so easy for us to understand. Jesus says, I am going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, why is that good news for us? Because there's opposition against God every step of the way. Isaac, a patriarch is opposing the history of salvation. He wants to bless Esau, who's married two Hittite wives. He's opposed to God. But God's overruling providence prevails. And when we were studying the passion narratives of Luke, we saw that they were opposing Jesus. But what has happened? Jesus prevailed. And where the hope comes in is Jacob, actually. God, we see what a conniver he is. But God will get a hold of Jacob, won't he? And Jacob today is dwelling with God in perfection. And what comforts us about that is if God can straighten out Jacob, if the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross can straighten out Jacob. He can straighten out you and me too. Is that good news or what? Let's praise him. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord. And Father, we see ourselves. We can see a Jacob in our hearts. We can see a Rebecca thinking we got to help you out and make sure that your promises come. 
We can see Isaac. We can see the negligence in our lives and see Isaac. We can see an Isaac in our lives. We can see a rebellious Esau that holds your gospel with contempt. Oh, Father, it's a mirror. We look into this chapter and we see a mirror and what we see reflected is our own faces. Oh, Father, we are so comforted that, Lord, even in the midst of this, Father, you are carrying out your great plan of salvation and we see that you can, if you, you can restore even a Jacob, that you can love a Jacob. And Father, we see that in doing so, you can love us too, and you do love us, and you have accomplished salvation for us in Christ. No, oh, Father, our hearts rejoice this morning. So, oh, Father, as we see ourselves in these four characters, Father, may we repent, and may we look to you for a real change. But, oh, Father, may we also look to you with the joy of salvation this morning. That, Father, your overruling providence always prevails, and you are building your church against all opposition. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.